Hi, I'm Mark. My wife and I, who is currently watching all of your beautiful children in our kids' ministry building over there, uh, we serve as the lead pastors here at Sozo. We are in the midst, uh, actually just kind of the beginning of a new series where uh, we are looking at the church. We're looking at what does it mean to be a church? What are the core elements of the church? We're calling it Church in the Raw. And really, that video was our uh, tongue-in-cheek kind of way of trying to show the opposite of what we're talking about when we talk about Church in the Raw. Uh, we've all probably been to services like that. I think Sozo may have put on a service or two like that. Um, we're not trying to say there's anything intrinsically evil, wicked, or bad. What we're trying to look at is say, okay... At the end of the day, what are the core essential elements that make a church part of the church? Um, so we're taking a look kind of back at Acts chapter 2. But before we jump to there, I've got a few scriptures here and want us to just kind of be able to look at these, read these real fast and uh, see this stuff before we jump in. Give me a moment while I get my computer to work. I'm really, really super good with technology. That's a lie. This is, uh, should be. Let's see here if my controller works. No, it does not. Can y'all help me out back there? We got, first one we got is first Peter, or second Peter, chapter one, 12 through 15. Um, just to kind of give you a quick context, I'm not really going to preach from these uh, verses. I just kind of want to get them in our hearing and help us kind of have them bouncing around in our brains a little bit to give us some framework to uh, to kind of understand what it is we're going to be talking about this morning. Uh, this is Peter writing to a church, and he just explained to them in an amazing, beautiful way the power that Jesus exerted in bringing them to salvation, and then the process in which God is engaging us to bring about the transformation of our lives from what they were before our redemption to what it is that we're called to. And uh, Peter lays all that out for the church, and then he says this. He says, therefore, because of Christ's redemption and the work that his spirit is working in you and through you, Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of remember. Since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me, I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. And then the next verse we have is 2 Timothy chapter 316. 2 Timothy 316, only slightly less known than John 316. Uh, all scripture is God, is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And then we're going to jump now, if you've got your Bibles, to Acts chapter 2. We're going to pick up right where we left off last week. Acts chapter 2. Verse 22, this is the beginning, the birth of the church. Church is gathered together. The Holy Spirit has fallen. Crazy stuff has broken out. A crowd, the, the, the service is so loud, much like ours typically are, that, uh, that those around hear what's going on and are drawn toward it. Peter has stood up and begun to address the crowd. We read the first half of his sermon last week. Now we're going to read this half starting in verse 22. He says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus 
of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourself know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was impossible for him to be held by it. For David said, says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me. For he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he is both dead and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him, that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ. That he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus, God raised up. And of that we are witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out This that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into heaven, but he said of him, but he said, but he himself said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, that is Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now we're going to jump ahead to verse 42. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing their possessions to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with gladness and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, we thank you this morning and this day for your presence, for your grace, for your truth. And God, we ask humbly and yet boldly, for your word to be here in this place, for your voice to be heard by us and known by us. God, that we might hear from you, that we might receive from you, that we might grab a hold of the word that it is you are speaking to us today. It might go deep within our souls, within our hearts, that we might be transformed by it, leading God to a transformation in the way that we live. We don't want to leave this place the same as we came into this place. I don't want to be here next week and be the same as I am today. And God, I know that in and of myself and and, and in and of my abilities, I have no capacity for transformation by my own power. But I've tried, I have labored, I have given myself over to this attempt 
And God, I've come up short every time, but I know that when you speak to me, when you deliver your word to me, I'm changed. My behaviors don't just just change, God. My heart is transformed and my life is transformed. And so we come to you, God, for that kind of transformation today. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. I remember when... uh, when my kids were born, and anybody have kids, you'll, you'll know this. Uh, when your children are first born, you, you kind of go insane for a little while. And one of the many symptoms of your newly found insanity is, is you used to get bored. And you used to have to find ways of entertaining yourself. And suddenly when your children are born, you are fully content for hours to just hold them and stare at them. Can I get an amen from the parents in the room, right? Like, you just, you just, I remember especially with my firstborn, who I'm going to embarrass right now. She's turning 13 today. So um, Adonai is right here in the front row, and she's turning, I won't make her stand up because she might try to kill me in my sleep tonight if I do. But, um, but she's turning 13 today, and so I'm kind of was reminiscing this morning and remembering when she was born, and just, this was pre-cell phone cameras. Okay, anybody remember 13 years? Some of you aren't even old enough to remember 13 years ago. Um, but 13 years ago, we didn't have phones with cameras on them. Um, I've heard it said uh, uh, by others, and I, I would say it's true of me. I think I probably have more pictures of my kids than times my father looked at me. Right? Um, but but I remember in those early m- moments just st- Staring at my kids. I remember the next two, uh, because, you know, it was, it was far enough down the road, like, just taking infinite amounts of pictures of my kids, like, snap. Wow. Snap. Like, they didn't do anything, right? They're just... I call kids at that stage larva, right? They're in the larva phase. They pretty much just, like, sit there, they kind of move around, they eat and they poop, and they sort of sleep, and that's about it. But yet we're fascinated by them. And really, I think this passage here, chapter 2, verse 42 through 47, is really the infancy, the, the newborn picture, right, of the church. This is what it was like in its, in its early larva phase. And it grows, and it, it's grown up, and it's, it's kind of become this, this thing, and it has all these quirks and issues, but really in its, in its pure form, in its early form, we, we see it here. And so really this series, Church in the Raw, is all about staring at the newborn. What, what, what was the church like when it was just the church? When there wasn't staff and sound systems, buildings and budgets? There's nothing wrong with a building. Amen. I, I like that we're inside right now. A couple weeks down the road, we're all going to be really excited that we're inside. Nothing wrong with buildings. I, I would hope, come on somebody, that as, as pastors and elders, we are, we are budgeting well the resources that God has given us. Nothing wrong with a budget. By the way, if you're a college student, you don't have a budget. Get a budget. That's just free side thing. Nothing wrong with a sound system. It saves my voice. Nothing wrong with, with a staff and people. And we dream at this point of having a staff. But what did it look like when all that stuff is stripped away? And so we're, we're taking a look right now at the baby picture. Now, just to give us a, a, a place to start and kind of a working framework, we've got a, a definition of what we call the purpose of the church. We can throw that up on the screen. That'd be great. 
A church is a gathering of those who together experience God's affection and engage God's agenda. Now, we unpacked this a little bit more last week. I don't have the time to do it this week. But really, we need to understand this simple idea. That everything that the church does in its most basic form is to accomplish these two tasks. That God chose to redeem a people unto himself that he might demonstrate through their experience, his affection. He came down in our sin, in our depravity, in our lostness. He came down in his goodness, in his holiness. He paid for our sins and redeemed us back to himself. And we experience so that the cosmos might know his goodness and affection. That we exist as a church to experience his affection. Listen to me. There's nothing wrong with experiencing God when he reveals himself to us. There's this whole uh, knee-jerk reaction. There's there's kind of two camps that seem to be getting farther and farther apart today in the church. There's one camp that says it's all about experience, and we abandon the things of God and the principles of God and the, 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 the pathway laid out for us in the Scripture, and, and we go no, for nothing but experience. And then we've got another camp over here saying, no, it's all about the Word, and it's all about the principles of God, and we need not experience God. And I think both of them are wrong. When I read about the early church, I see them experiencing God's affection. What is that thing that we're experiencing when we exalt and magnify Him? We're experiencing His affection. What is it that that enabled us to go from being lost sheep to being those that were brought back to the family of God? For God so what? Loved the world that He gave. But we don't just exist to experience God's affection. We don't just exist to gather in this place and sing happy Jesus songs and get goosebumps on the back of our neck. But rather we exist also to be the very agent of God's agenda in the earth. And we're called to engage that. We're called to get in line with that. We're called to let go of things that are contrary to that agenda. I have a firmly held belief That God gives us everything that we need to obey what it is he's called us to do. And he gives us nothing more. Which means if you're running out of time or money, the issue is not more time or more money. The issue is, come on somebody, cutting away the crap that is unnecessary in your life. I love you. That's a whole nother message though. So we're going to look at the early church. And one of the first things that we see in the early church Now, we're going to be looking that this series is predominantly going to be looking um, in the first couple chapters of Acts. And what we're going to be doing is looking at verses 42 through 47. We're going to stare at the baby picture. Okay? And we're not going to really go through it in order. I'm just going to warn you, for those of you who are like super need me to exegete scripture every week. We're not going to go through this in order. We're going to kind of bounce around. But this week, I want to start where it starts. We see here that in its infancy, it devoted itself. I'm going to do a whole message on that. So just pin that in your head. Remember that for later. They devoted themselves. This was not an external thing. It was an internal thing. But the thing that one of the things they devoted themselves to the first thing out of the shoot was the apostles teaching. They devoted themselves to the apostles teaching, which leads me to have to ask the question, what's that? Because I looked, I actually did. I did a search on, uh, on, iTunes, there is no Paulinian podcast. 
right? Like there's no podcast of Paul. We don't have audio recordings of Paul the Apostle's teachings. We, there is no Peter radio hour, right? Like you can scan the radio all you want. All you nerds that listen to Christian teaching, you know, Bible teaching on the radio like me. They, they, there is no Peter radio hour, right? There's no Jerusalem broadcast of, of the Apostle's teaching. So, so what does that mean, hello somebody, for us today? I want to throw this out to you as simply and as, as point blank, no frills as I possibly can. That this apostolic teaching, we're going to use the term, and, and just give me some room here if you can. When we see throughout Scripture, we see the apostles talking about their teaching. Some of your translations, if you read other translations of the Bible, will say the apostles' doctrine. When we, when we see about this, there's many words that are used here. We, we see words like, like preaching. We see words like teaching. We see like bring a message to you. I have a message to deliver to you. So what does it mean? What is preaching really all about? I want to tell you that it is vitally necessary and important, a vital element of a church to be a church is preaching. This isn't an option. See, there's, when we talked last week, there are some things in the model of the church that God gave us that we can change. Like, we don't sing the same songs they sang in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. Right? I don't, we don't sing in Greek and Hebrew. Right? Like, we don't, we don't get up here and sing the songs. I don't even know those songs. I don't think, I don't think Paul had a guitar. He might have. It'd be pretty freaking cool if he did. I'd bid on that on eBay, right? Like, I mean, that'd be cool. Okay, there are things we can change, but what is it that we can't change? And and I'm I'm really passionate about this partially. Just hear me, because it's part of my calling. But I'm also passionate because I see, again, a, a, a pulling away from preaching. Well, what, can't we just have like a conversation? Can't we just sit down and talk and dialogue. I really prefer Bible study. I think it's rude that he just talks the whole time. I think he should let other people talk. He's a jerk. I know none of you think this, but other people do. There is a biblical mandate to preach. Now, now styles can be different. Look, like some, I, I know a lady, she's a teaching pastor of a church in Seattle. She, no joke, she sits in a rocking chair the whole time she preaches. She rocks. It's, it, my ADD like went nuts. Cause every time she's like rocking, I'm like, how far is it going to go back this time? Oh. Right? Like she has her Bible open on her lap and she talks very softly. She never gets angry. Feathered hair. It was great. Styles are different. But what I want us to see is this, the, that preaching is necessary. And look, I'm, I'm, we do we do creative things occasionally in our in our in our preaching, and we we'll do we'll continue to do those things. But ultimately, it is fundamental to have somebody get up here and preach. And what I want to look at today is something super simple. What is it that I'm called to do for you, and what is it that you ought to come here ready to receive? When, when I get here, am I just allowed to kind of get up and do whatever I want? Because let's be real, there's lots of there's a kid here stuff. That's coming out of pulpits today or bar tables. There's lots of, there's lots of things that get said from the pulpit 
and get labeled as preaching. And what I want to know is this, what has to be there? What can you come here expecting to receive? And what must I do as your pastor and as the preacher here, what do I need to give you? Right, if we're talking about in the raw, there can be other stuff added, right? But in its most basic form, what is it? So I want to just jump in here real fast. I have three simple points because I'm a professional and that's how many you're supposed to have. So three points, they're going to go quick and we're going to jump in. Uh, the first thing that preaching must do, this is no option here. It has to show you Jesus. Okay, it can do a lot of stuff. Number one, it has to show you Jesus. If we could throw up uh, Acts chapter 4, verse 18 through 20. I'm going to give you some backstory here because this is one of my favorite stories in Acts. And I, I was originally, we were going to look at this story in, de- in detail in this series. But um, this series is only going to be about 10 weeks, 11 total with the first week. So we only got this and nine more messages. I don't have time to get to this. So I'm going to give you a quick recap of this where we're at here. So, so Peter and John are walking to the temple. They're going to the temple to pray and, and they're going at the time where you go and, and, and as they go, there's a beggar waiting by the gate and they walk by and the beggar's begging for money. He's crippled. He can't walk. And so he looks at Peter and John and he says, Hey, you got nice clothes. Give me some money. No, he, he asks them for money, right? He says, he, he begs of them and, and Peter looks at him and he says, this. he says, look, silver and gold, I don't, I don't have any money. I got nothing that I can give you in the context of money. But what I do have, I'm going to give you, and it's free. And he says, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And homeboy gets up and walks. And God, in that moment, does a handful of miracles. Because not only does he strengthen his legs and, and make his legs able to function, but he does something that took you about a year to figure out, and that is start walking. You ever think about that for a second? He doesn't just, it's not just enough that your legs might work. He instantaneously teaches him how to walk. So much so that the Bible says he starts dancing. Some of y'all can't even do that now. (laughs) Certainly not all the white guys like me. We just jump up and down. We call this dancing. Especially in church and youth group. Um, (laughs) Right? Like he, he instantly learns how to walk and jump and leap and praise God. He glorifies Jesus and Peter stands up and preaches. Crowd gathers, Peter preaches. That's just like his norm. Crowd is there, he preaches. Preaches to them about Jesus. He points them to Jesus. The church cops show up. We've all met these, right? If you've hung around in church very long, you know there's church cops, right? And they come around, they don't like what's going on. It's too loud and ruckusy. And so they show up, the temple cops show up. And in that day, they had the authority to arrest them. And this is part of my favorite part of the whole story. So, again, anybody read the Bible and see a movie in their head? Okay? So Peter's like preaching and he's up there and there's all these thousands of people, the Bible tells us. And and and, and the cops show up, start yelling at him, tell him to shut up, handcuff him and drag him out. And the Bible tells us this, that, that 5,000 people get saved. Okay, can you not skip over that? Like, imagine right now, like, I'm preaching, end of the message, like, cops show up, like, hey, dude, it's illegal to preach about Jesus, handcuff me. And as I'm getting drug out of the church, I'm like, anybody want to repent of their sin and confess Jesus and get drug out? And the altar call's filled up. Like, I don't know about you, but I think that's a divine movement of God's grace. Right? Like, hey, that dude got arrested for this. Sure. No, I think most of us would be like, yeah, no, I'm good. But instead, there's a response because of the power 
and the anointing of Jesus that is there. The Holy Spirit's there and moving in people's lives. They get arrested. They get drug out. They get, they get taken. They get presented before the, the judges and, and they're judged. And, and we pick up the story now in verse 18. It says, so they called them. This is the judges called Peter and John. And they called them and charged them. Catch this, please. Not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. So what's the message that Peter must have been proclaiming? Jesus. Not political agenda. Come on, somebody. Not his own opinion, but he gets up and he's, he's preaching about Jesus. And, and they don't really care about the miracle. They're like, eh, whatever, that's fine. Good on you. He can walk now. Good. Hope he starts paying taxes. And that's great. But now, don't talk about Jesus anymore. And I love what Peter and John say. But Peter and John answer them, whatever. <laughs> I love this. Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. I just love how passive aggressive that is. (laughs) Point is this. Biblical preaching must be about showing you Jesus. That's why we put his name up here. That was a joke. Okay, we, it's, it's, about, it's about putting Jesus before you. Okay, we, I, I come to the scriptures with a, with a solid, unshakable conviction that on every page in here is Jesus. We say it this way. It's all about Jesus. From Genesis to Revelation, like, well, Jesus doesn't show up until... Matthew, he's everywhere. And part of my job, a core part of my job, if not the core of my job, is to show you Jesus on every page. It's to show him as beautiful and and magnificent, holy and awesome and scary and powerful. It is my job to show you Jesus. You ought to come here every single Sunday expecting to see more of and better of Jesus. That's what preaching is about. When we talk about the apostles, every time we see them, they talk about Jesus. He says, look, I can't help but talk about Jesus. Earlier in this passage, they talk about the fact that they, they literally say, like, they could tell that they were uneducated, but that they'd hung out with Jesus. It's not about fluency in speech and me seeming smart to you. It's about me showing you Jesus. Look, all I really know is Jesus. Show you Jesus. The thing we show you predominantly about Jesus, can I just lay this out? He's God. Okay, he's not, he's not a God. He's not, he's not like God. He's not a good guy. He's not a smart teacher. He's not a philosopher who had some good points. He is God. Jesus is God. It's the first thing that we need to understand. Jesus is God. Amen? Bible tells us when we see Jesus in, in John, I'm not going to put this on the screen, but John 14, 7 through 9, that when we see Jesus, we see the Father. When we see Jesus, you see God. Jesus is God. You can't see Jesus and not see God. It's, 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 it's impossible. The next thing that we see as we see Jesus and we see God, here's what you're going to realize. You're not God. Right? Like if he gets to be God, you don't get to be God, but you like to be God just like I like to be God. 
think it's funny that we like to be God when we can't even find our keys. Right? I don't need you, Jesus, except could you help me find my keys? I got to get to work. Just me? (laughs) Right? Like we can't control anything in our life, but we think we should be given sovereign authority over all things. So the next thing that we're called, I'm called as a preacher to show you, I show you Jesus in showing you Jesus. The reality is you're going to see the difference between you and Jesus and realize that he's righteous and you're not. And from there, the next thing that I try to show you is this. It's the gospel. Romans chapter one, verse 14 through 17, Paul here talking. He says, so they, they, Oh, can we get to Romans? Sorry. So <laughs> Romans chapter, I just assumed it was there. Romans chapter 1, uh, 14 through 17 says, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Paul here says, look, to the church, I want to preach the gospel. Not just to the lost, certainly to the lost, but to everyone. I want to preach the gospel. It's my job to preach the gospel to you. It's my job to present to you the reality that Jesus Christ The righteous one that you see so clearly as a preacher preaches properly. You see Jesus. And I say that Jesus, that righteous, holy, beautiful Jesus has chosen to die for your sin. And he rose again three days later, eternally triumphant over all of his enemies that you might in confessing and repenting, repenting of your sin and confessing Jesus as Lord might not experience any longer condemnation, but only everlasting joy. That's the gospel. The gospel is not you're a good person. So Jesus loves you. The gospel is you're a wicked and depraved sinner. And yet still he has chosen to redeem you out of his love and affection so that you might experience his affection and engage in his agenda. Thus being brought into this thing we call the church. I don't have another message for you. I don't have something else to say. Every time we, we see Peter preach five times in the book of Acts. We have, we have the podcast, right, written down of his five messages in, in Acts. And every time he preaches the gospel. Can I just, can I just throw this out? I know that, I know we got some college students here that are going through Bible college. And I think maybe we got some people here who might be called to preach and teach. And I just want to throw this out. We have to, as preachers, stay on message. Because you, as a believer, need to stay on message. We have abdicated our message to political parties, to to uh, business agendas, to our worldviews too much. And we need to get back on message. One of the commitments that I've made as the pastor here, just so you know, if you're kind of checking this out and seeing like if this is a place you want to be, you will never know my political views. Period. Some of y'all have tried. Some of y'all, I love this, think from conversations we've had that you know, and the funny thing is if you talk to other people who think they know, you would think that I think the exact opposite. Because I don't really care how, that's not my message. My message is you suck at life and you need Jesus. You suck at voting and need Jesus. 
Okay, like here's the here's the the extent of what you're going to hear politically from me. You should vote as a believer. We should be involved in the process, but our message should not be voting. Had a guy part of the church early on. We happened to start in an election year. He literally came up to me and was like, so my last pastor gave me like a sheet of paper that told me who to vote for. Can I get that from you too? Write in Jesus. (laughs) The message is the gospel. The message you're going to hear from me is the gospel. Can I push this a little bit further? If you're coming here expecting to hear 16 steps to have a healthy marriage, here's what I'm going to tell you. Jesus shows you husbands what you ought to be like. Give of your life and love your, you love your bride as Jesus loved the church. Wives, submit to your husbands as the church submits to Jesus. There's my, that, what is that? It's the gospel applied to your marriage. It's, it's not 16 steps. It's one step. You give up. <laughs> Stay on message. I'm going to stay on message for two primary reasons. One, because you and I will both begin to argue with the gospel within 16 nanoseconds after hearing the gospel. I think I need to do something. I don't think I need to give up. I think I need to do something. I want to do something. Why do I want to do something? Because I'm a wicked, corrupt sinner. And if I get to do something, then I can take pride in what I did. See how that works? But if Jesus did it all, all I really have left to do is surrender to him. He gets to be God. I don't. The second reason is I want to so saturate you in the gospel that everywhere you go, it spills out. Because that needs to be not only my message, but our message. i got to hurry up here. I'm running out of time. Uh, third one. So, so first, we, we see Jesus, right? Second, we see the gospel. Because in seeing Jesus, we see our need for a Savior. We see our need. And, and in the gospel, we find out that Jesus is not only God, but he is God and Lord. He is Savior and Redeemer of us. Amen? And then, so it, it shows us Jesus, it uncovers the gospel, and it always, I want to hit this, but I'm afraid that you're just going to think I'm doing it because I was on that video. Um, <laughs> driving home, I point emphatically. It always, 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 always has to open and deliver the word. It is not optional for this to get opened It is not optional for this to not get unpacked. Every time. Did you hear in in Peter's sermon? He's quoting the Bible. Okay, let me just put it this way. If the dude who God was going to use to write a bunch of this has to open the Bible, I think I probably should. I think you need to come here expecting this to get opened. Now, I want to, I want to read again. This is a, a passage. If you want to go home and read this whole thing, I think it's, it's kind of one of those just crazy passages of scripture. I don't have time to read it right now. So we're not going to throw it up the screen because if I go, I'm going to get, I'm going to chase too many rabbits. But, but Nehemiah chapter eight, by the way, Nehemiah is in the Old Testament. In case you're like, Nehemiah, what? Nehemiah is in the Old, is that the ice cream with the three kinds? Nehemiah is in the Old Testament chapter eight. It's a weird thing to me. Chapter eight of Nehemiah like reads like a church service. Like the people all gathered together, they had a stage. The priest and leaders stood up, opened up the Bible, read the Bible, and helped them understand it. That's my job. That in opening the Scripture and unpacking the Scripture, I can show you through the Scriptures, Jesus and the Gospel, everywhere we go. It is not an option for us not to open the Bible. 
I remember I had, I was a youth pastor for about uh, 10, 11, 12 years before we planted this church. And, and I, I went to a, a big event and they, they it was a event of students and they asked one of my students, they asked a bunch of youth pastors and they asked one of my students, said, will you pick one of your kids and have them get up and kind of share, a, you know, a testimony, get up and kind of preach. Instead of having an outside preacher, we want to have teenagers. They're all going to get like five or six minutes and get up and going to talk. And, and we're sitting there and ours was like the fifth or sixth kid. And I'm in the front row with a young man named Ryan. And, and I watch these kids as they get up and they talk about, they do the testimony thing, right? Like I was horrible and wicked and awful and I had sex with my girlfriend and then I got saved at youth camp and now my life is great. And they sat down. And the next kid got up. I was really bad and disobeyed my parents. And this one time I smoked a cigarette. And then I felt guilty and I got saved at church. Amen. Bye. And they sat down. And I watched this. And I grabbed the young man sitting next to me. And I said, if you don't get up there and open up a Bible, I'm not letting you back in our church. He's like, I don't have a Bible. I'm like, I do. It's cool. Don't worry about it. I'm handing my Bible. He's like, what do I read? I'm like, I don't really care. You're going to read something though. It's not an option to get up in front of the people of God and just spout my opinion. we got to open up the Bible. When did we get ashamed of the Bible? This is church. That's like going to a rock show and them not having an amp on stage. It's wrong. Well, we were afraid people were going to be offended by the volume. It's why people showed up. Like my buddy's a tech for a, a band. They're going to be here on on Tuesday, and he's like, hey, can you come help us tech? I got like 47 amps I got to set up. I'm like, yeah. People are going to show up and expect volume. People should show up. You should show up to church and expect the Bible to be open. So, and here's where I turn it on you, you should probably read it before you show up. Love you. So here's what we're going to do. I'm committed to something in this series. The thing I'm committed to is this is if we're going to be a church, right? We're looking at the church of the raw. we got to build these core essential elements into the church. This, this, this series, I'm just going to throw this out to you, is worthless if all I do is talk about it and we don't do anything about it. So every week, just be prepared for this. This is probably like the fourth point. You should be prepared to get called to do something. So every week this in this series, and hopefully from here on out, we're, gonna, we're, we're setting up, we're prepping and preparing Action steps for you to take after the message. So did we get those things separated out? The reading plans? Or did you guys get those when you came in? Cool. Everyone should have one. If we don't have one, we can get you one. Uh, we have a slide of it, actually, the reading plan. We could throw it up. So here's what I've done. I, I want to call you and challenge you to commit to read your Bible every day. I know this is basic. For some of you, you're like, uh, yeah, I do that. Cool story, bro. Great. For some of you, this is a new thing, and that's totally awesome, and I think that's amazing and cool. And here's what I want you to see. Reading the scriptures, catch this please, is bread, not burdensome. The scriptures tell us that in reading them, they are the bread of life. They are the thing that empowers us and sustains us. Really, when I talk about my job is to, is to open to you the scriptures and to teach you the scriptures, really what I'm doing has anybody ever walked into their friend's house and they're baking bread? How have you walked into your friend's house who's baking bread and you're like, I wasn't even hungry, but now I, I would cut you for a piece of bread. <laughs> I got a friend named B. She, she cooks, like she bakes cooks. She bakes some of the best bread I've ever tasted. You don't even have to, I don't even care how gluten intolerant you are, you'll eat this bread, seriously. 
They'll be like, I'll eat it and I'll deal with the upset tummy later. And I walk into J&B's house and I'll smell bread. And I'm like, dude, I don't care what I just ate. I'm, I'm going to eat some of that. She's like, it's not done yet. I'm like, I don't even care. I'll just grab the dough and rub it on my face. Like, okay, my job as a preacher when I open the word to you is to waft the aroma of bread into your soul. Come on, somebody. So here's what I did, because it can be confusing. I mean, honestly, we got 66 books by 40-something authors, like, compiled into it, and you're like, cool, I'm going to read it. And, and if any of you, like me, were not the smartest, you know, when you first were redeemed and you just, like, cracked the Bible open to Genesis and you got lost in the begats, right? It's like, oh, it's tried. It got weird. I don't know what begat means. It's not like, I don't really understand. Or some of y'all, like, powered through and you got through Genesis and Exodus, and then you got to Leviticus and you're like, a what? Like, I have to, uh, and you gave up there. Those of you, they're like, awesome. Some of y'all got a little bit further. You got into Song of Solomon. And you're like, this is dirty. I'm not allowed to read this. My mom said not to read books like this. Right? And some of y'all have been Christians for a while. And you like, you know the gospel of John and the book of Romans backwards, right? I'm going to tell you, I, when I first, um, was converted. I was, I was walking with the Lord. I, I started working in a, a, a Christian bookstore, which I don't recommend to anyone. Um, but I started working in a Christian bookstore. You'll start to question your salvation. Um, and I, I started working there and, and I, I, on my first paycheck, I bought a Bible, not like any Bible. I bought like a Bible. I bought the kind of Bible that I think you're supposed to put like on your coffee table, you know, like this huge mammoth, big giant leather Bible. And I found it a couple years ago. And man, I'm, I'm serious. The, 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 the New Testament of that Bible was like ripped to shreds. Highlighted, underlined, 47 colors, circled, notes in the margins. The Old Testament was pristine. It still made that cracky sound when you move the pages. Right? Like we don't know where to go. So here's what I've done. I've put together, there's 64 days, in the re- 64 literal days in the, in the rest of this series from today until November 30th when this series will end. There's 64 days. So I've given you 60 passages of scripture. I, I chose for us Luke and Acts because it, we're, we're talking about the church. Acts is the church, right? Luke is the author of both Luke and Acts. And so what we did was just laid this out. This is about, this is a few minutes of reading time. Honestly, you should be able to read this. I did, and I'm a pretty slow reader. I still use my finger. <laughs> right? It's about five minutes. Let me throw this out to you. Because about 42% of you are like, I don't have time to read the Bible. I tried. I don't have time. Okay, here's what I'm going to throw out to you. If you have an iPhone or an Android phone right now, two things. One, there's free Bible apps. So download one. Don't really care which one. Download one of them. Secondly, your snooze, I don't know if you know this, is preset to nine minutes. How many of y'all hit your snooze button at least 16 times before you get up in the morning? Pick one of those and just get up. Use that nine minutes that you were going to waste ruining your day, trying to sleep just nine more minutes, which really only going to give you a headache and make you groggy all day. So take nine minutes and read your Bible. Amen. Because fully awake, it should take you five minutes. So half groggy, it'll take you nine <laughs> and just read through this. Now, for some of you, I'm going to, I gave you 60 passages. So when you mess up, you're okay. You don't have to be like, oh no, no, I got to get more. Freak out on me. Simple passages. I want to call us as a church to read our Bibles every day for the next 60 days. Can we do that? Can we throw that out there? Show up 
ready to hear about Jesus. Show up ready to hear the gospel. Show up ready to have the Bible opened and taught to you. Amen? Let's go ahead and stand to our feet. We're going to close this service down. If you didn't get one of those um, reading plans, we got more in the back. Grab one. I want everyone to get one of those on their way out. Simple, easy. Um, But here's the deal. It's not about completing a task. It's about spending time with Jesus and his word. Amen? That's why I wanted to make it short. I wasn't trying to make room for our sin or our, our depravity. I was trying to make room for us to spend time with Jesus. And there's some instructions on that page on kind of my way of approaching Scripture as I, as I do. And, and uh, it's about spending time with Jesus. That's the biggest thing I want you to hear. And ultimately, listen, if you're here and you have not experienced the redemptive work of Christ, if you have not repented of your sin, repentance I know is a weird church word. It simply means this. It means recognizing that you're wrong and God is right and asking him to transform the way you think so that the way you think is in line with the way he thinks. It's a change in the way we think that's so powerful and profound that it alters the way that we live. And that starts, the Bible says, with repentance. And so we would call you today to repent. Believer, if you're here and you have shown up to church expecting something beyond or outside the boundaries of you seeing Jesus, hearing the gospel, and having the word opened and unpacked and set beside you, I would call you to repent as well. Listen, repentance is not something that people who are not saved do. It's something that people who are saved do. It's the very act of repentance that moves you It's the experiential act of repentance that moves us from those that the Bible says are outside the family of God and moves us inside the family of God. If it's the thing that gets us in here, hear me please, it's the thing that's going to keep you here. Yes, it's His grace. Yes, it's by Him. He is the author and of your faith. But His work of perfecting is accomplished through repentance. So we're going to call you to repent this morning. We call... We respond in repentance in a couple different ways. Primarily, it's through your time with Jesus right now. Take some time. We're going to enter back into worship. Confess your sin to Jesus. Confess his lordship. Confess his greatness. We also worship and exalt him. We don't set our attention ultimately upon our sin. We set our attention upon our Savior. Yeah, we sing, I'm a, I'm a sinner. But we also sing, you're a savior. The greater my sin, the greater I get to realize his saving power. Come on, somebody. We also choose to partake in communion each and every week. If you're here and you have not experienced redemption, we would request and ask that you would abstain from this until such a time as you have experienced redemption. However, if you are experiencing redemption in this very moment, the table's open to you. We would invite you to be a part of it. We take by a method known as intiction where we just simply take a piece of bread, dip it in the cup and take. As we enter back into worship, we would invite you to take as you feel led to partake of this body and blood of Jesus as you feel led. I'm going to pray and we're going to jump back in. Holy Spirit, we thank you this morning. Thank you for your word and for your work, for your goodness for your grace. 
And God, I ask that as we come before you today, God, you would grant to us repentance. We know that repentance, true repentance, isn't something that we can muster up. But rather, God, it's something that you and you alone do. God, help us see our need for you.